I played quite a bit of hockey when I was younger, and I just assumed that my grandson would be a natural like I was. I talked to my mother, and she said, we just put skates on you, and your father lifted you over the boards and set you on the ice, and you just took off skating. But not so with my three-year-old grandson. And it, there was an incident with the helmet. I bought a helmet that was too small and tried to squeeze it on his head. And then the ice is so slippery. The ice is so slippery, Grampy. So we're just working on skating now that he's seven. And we're giving up on the hockey. But he just wouldn't trust me, the one who has done a lot of skating, the one who's been through all of this. Now today we're beginning a new series of messages where we're taking a look at some of a cluster of miracles that Jesus performed, one right after the other. And they're recorded in Mark chapters 4 and 5. And Jesus did some spectacular things. He showed compassion to the hurting. He demonstrated his deity. He performed miracles that also improved his place in our society. They proved his power over every area of life, including ours. But even more, these miracles are a sneak preview of his power and how it can work in our lives today. So it quickly becomes clear that whatever challenge we face isn't a challenge for him. And today we're going to see that we encounter some everyday storms. And Jesus has the power to calm. He has the power to bring peace when we're experiencing anxiety. So today, if you're frustrated over some situation, if your life is just so hectic, if you're anxious about some financial decision, or maybe if your world has been rocked by some unexpected crisis, just remember this, that the Prince of Peace has the power to come in and calm you in the midst of that storm. So let me acquaint you with what's going on here before we look at a video clip. That Jesus has been teaching all day long, and, and he's exhausted. And then he said to his disciples, we're going to head out to the other side of the sea. Now that Sea of Galilee isn't like the Atlantic Ocean. It was 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. So just picture it in your mind. Don't think ocean, but think something the size of a large lake that we have here in Nova Scotia. So let's just read this in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So they head out. Everything's fine. It's nice and serene setting. And then the clouds start to come, and the thunderstorm arrives. And the Sea of Galilee is actually five to 600 feet below sea level. And as a result of that, the surrounding mountains cause the cold winds to come down from the mountains and make really intense storms. And then the rivers have actually cut deep ravines in the tablelands that come down into the sea. So these act as giant funnels for that cold air. So these waves can reach heights of 20 feet. So just try to imagine being in that on that lake. And that storm came up with such intensity 
that these men, most of these disciples, are fishermen. They're experienced. They've been in storms before. But this one seems to be worse than normal. And just think of the worst storm that you've ever witnessed, the type where you can't see across the road, you you can't see to drive your car. And you walk into the wind, and you lean ahead, and you realize, the wind is holding me up. So imagine a storm like that, but you're not on land, you're actually on water. That's what's going on here. And then add one more component. You're in this little homemade boat that's designed for maybe 10 to 15 people, and you're holding on for dear life, but not everyone. So we move ahead to verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Now, we need to stop right there, but please keep those scriptures up there. From an earthly standpoint, this was the most dangerous situation that these guys could face. At worst, they would drown at sea. At best, they would have the ship destroyed and they would be floundering around in the open sea. And where's their leader? But he's sound asleep in the boat and he's just oblivious to everything else that's going on around them. But he's had a full day of teaching and he's exhausted. He needs some sleep. Now, I can understand just a little bit of that because for the last two years, we've started to do three Christmas Eve services. So that's speaking three messages over the course of four hours. And when that's finished, I go home and I just want to go to bed. But my daughters will say, Dad, you want to play a game? Like, it Just let me sleep. And then if you've ever taught vacation Bible school, and you might have four different classes come through, and you teach that same lesson over and over again to all of these kids, and then there will be a hundred of them by the noontime. You're exhausted. You just want to sleep. So it doesn't matter to Jesus about the surroundings or the circumstances. He is asleep. So then back to the scripture. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And the King James translation is, Peace, be still. Now this movie is based on one of the other gospel accounts where they don't actually have a quote from Jesus, just that he rebuked the waves. And I wish I could have found one of those, but I couldn't. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So the disciples were afraid, but Jesus wasn't. He was confident. He said, we're we're going to the other side. My father's completely in control here. We will be there. But the disciples were so frightened that they had to get Jesus awake so that he could rescue them. And of course, the problem wasn't the storm that was going on around them. As one guy said, the problem was what was going on inside of them, that unbelief. I love the wording in Mark's gospel because it says that Jesus rebuked the waves. That's the same word that was used when he would cast demons out of somebody. And then we look at the story again, and it concludes in chapter 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So there's something distinctive about this man. 
But every day he has been performing miracles and people are coming to belief in him. Like they're scratching their heads at what he's able to do, but they're opening up their hearts to him. And we can draw a few applications from this story to apply to our own lives and actually apply them when we experience storms because they're coming. And here's the first one. Storms come even when Jesus is there. Like Jesus is in the boat with his closest followers. And some Christians who are new to the faith will say, well, if I'm a believer, that means that I'm not going to have any struggles and problems. And being immature in the faith, they're tempted to think, okay, if Jesus is really with me, then how can bad things happen in my life? They won't. And when bad things do happen, then they assume, okay, Jesus isn't with me after all. But that's not the case here in Mark chapter 4. Jesus was with his disciples, and yet that storm still came. So God's word is very clear. We will encounter storms. Like James 1 verse 2. My brothers and sisters, when you have many kinds of trials, you should be full of joy. So read that carefully. James says, when you have many kinds of troubles. He doesn't say, if you're going to have them. And so Jesus said the same thing to his followers in John chapter 16. He said, I have told you these things so that you can have peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble. But be brave. I have defeated the world. So he promises that you will have storms but he also promises that he will be there with you in those storms. James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now it's so easy to think, well, Jesus is in the boat with me. He'll keep the storms away from me. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't protect us from the storms. He protects us in the storms. Have you ever been on a plane when there was really bad turbulence? Maybe so bad that they had to take the beverage and food cart away and lock that down so things weren't flying around. And you fasten your seatbelt as tightly as you possibly can because you're afraid. And what do you want to hear come over the PA system? It's not this. You don't want to hear a shaky voice. Uh, hello, this is your captain. Did you see that lightning out on the left side of the plane? It's scaring the living daylights out of me. I think I'm going to call my wife and tell her I love her. And then cross your fingers. Better yet, if you guys pray, pray like you've never prayed before. That's not what you want to hear when you're flying through a storm. You want to hear a captain who says, oh, Ladies and gentlemen, Yes, we're, this is your captain speaking. Some of you may have noticed that we're experiencing a little bit of turbulence. They've given me authority to just uh, fly out of our path for a few minutes to avoid it. We'll skirt around that weather, and it should be smooth sailing the rest of the way. And by the way, that beverage cart will be back out there before you know it. Like That's what you want to hear, the voice of assurance and confidence that says, this guy's been through this before. He knows what he's doing. That's what we want. He's not afraid. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be with me. 
So the voice of assurance and confidence makes you say, okay, it's going to be all right. And the disciples learned that firsthand, that when they were in the storms, Jesus was their pilot, and he was resting well. He wasn't concerned, so they shouldn't be afraid or worried as well. The second thing we note is that Jesus is there. Put your trust in him. In Proverbs 3, we read, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean, excuse me, and don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord in all you do, and he will give you success. Like that's what we're to remember in times of storm in our lives. But for many, the tendency is to just kind of lash out at God and is to be angry, but that doesn't help the situation. Fighting against God doesn't help in any way whatsoever. If before he falls asleep, Jesus says, we're going to go to the other side, then they were going to go to the other side. They could trust him. Now, we have a hard time being too tough on the disciples because for many of us, we question our faith at times as well. We're in those storms and we wonder where God is. So we see too much of ourselves in them. It's like a dad teaching his child to swim. And you just you have to let your child struggle a little bit, and sometimes they go under the water a bit, and they start to think that they're drowning. But you, the father picks them up above the surface and just helps them once again, guides them, and maybe lowers them down a few times that way. The father is actually strengthening and teaching through that trial. But the child is tempted to think, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. Why is my father letting me go down like this? So the words that you say will reveal your trust or your fear. In fact, in the heat of the moment, it's possible to say things that you don't even mean. So in Mark 4.38, the disciples scream out, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And some pastors will say that they were very immature to say that. But... How could these disciples reveal such a lack of faith and to say such a foolish statement? Well, I'm just glad that we never make foolish statements in our lives when we get stressed. I made a list of things that people say, parents, when they're stressed, some of the foolish things that they say, and they were actually all said by my parents, and they don't make sense. Like my mom said, do you think money grows on trees? Like, how could money grow on trees? Like, or, do you think my kitchen is a hockey rink? Well, of course it is. We set up a net on the doorway going into the pantry, and the other net was the doorway going into the hall. It was a hockey rink. Or, if you don't stop tattling on your brother, I'm going to tell your father. Okay. Or at the dinner table, if I was talking too much, which never happened very often, like, would you shut your mouth and just eat your food? But how are you going to do that? And then I, I would come running inside and leave the outside door open, and Dad would say, were you born in a barn? And then you start to wonder, you know, I wonder if that ever happened with Jesus, if he came running in and Joseph said, were you born in a barn? Well, yes, I was. And then Joseph would have to say, okay, just leave the door open. But stress causes us to say some very foolish things. And it was no different for the disciples. So when you're in the midst of a storm, and when anger erupts or doubt emerges, 
or fears just kind of paralyze you and you just kind of shout heavenward, like, God, like, what are you doing? Don't you care that I'm going to drown here? But it's not just the followers of Christ who say things they don't really mean. Excuse me, not just the first followers of Christ. Today, Christians will say things that don't make sense in the heat of the moment. And here are some things that I've heard Christians say when they're stressed. I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. Or if God is up there, then why doesn't he answer me? And remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus had received word that his friend Lazarus was dying and he arrived a couple of days after Lazarus had already died. And Lazarus' sister Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And we have a lot of those if-onlys. If only I had received that promotion. If only we had discovered the cancer earlier. If only God cared about me. If-onlys increase when we find ourselves in a storm. So when those storms happen, like don't stay away from church, don't quit praying, don't lash out at God in the midst of your pain because those flailing arms, they're just going to hurt the one who has come to save you. My brother was at a fundraising auction and he bid on a pool and pizza party and then gave it to my wife Pat and our daughters. And the people giving the party were actually friends of ours. So we were excited to go to their pool, enjoy pizza. But their 12-year-old son, just a skinny little guy, he was jumping off the diving board and landing on top of one of those inflatable little circular things. I didn't swim very well, but my wife had always told me, if you get in trouble, look to me and I will come and help you. So I put uh, noodles. I tied three or four noodles around me to catch me if when I jumped I missed the little circular thing. And I would hit it and I would bounce off. And I'd try again and I'd hit that thing and I'd bounce off. And then finally one time I missed that hit the water, the noodles exploded. I went down, but I came back up. I was above the water, and I very calmly looked to where my wife was, come rescue me. But by the time she got over there, I was in full panic mode, and I was pushing on her, and she was trying to save me, and I was trying to hurt the one who was there to save me. And we do that to God so many times. So don't be surprised about your storms. Suffering is inevitable. Misery is optional. In 1 Peter 4, we read, My friends, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Do not think that something strange is happening to you. So Jesus wants your trust, and he deserves it. And as you walk through that painful trial or suffering, he'll walk right along beside you. Just trust him. And then finally, we need to trust Jesus to calm the storm, that storm, at just the right time and in just the right way. Now, I don't want you to miss the full extent of this miracle, because when Jesus does a miracle, he does it right, and his timing is perfect. The Lord's never late, he's never too early. Just like the dad who's teaching his child to swim, at just the right time, he will catch that child and bring that child back up again to keep learning how to swim. 
So God may allow you to flounder for a while. You might be lapping and splashing around in the storm for a while, but don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. And you may have missed this when I read that miracle in Mark chapter 4, but there were actually two miracles. The first one was when he caused the wind to cease. He rebuked the wind and he said, silence. But then he also rebuked the waters and the waves immediately became still. They became calm. So Jesus has the power over nature. Nature doesn't have the power over him. He is the boss. Jesus calmed both the wind and the sea simply by speaking the word. And we know, living here in Nova Scotia, that when there's a storm one day, the waters are still really rough the next day. And everybody that does surfing, even in the wintertime, they head off to places like Lawrencetown Beach the day after that storm because they know it's going to be amazing surfing. But things are different when Jesus is involved. And when Jesus said, silence, be still, the waves stopped crashing over top of them, and all of a sudden, that water was just as smooth as glass. There was absolute peace. And Christ can do the same thing with the storms in your life. And you'll be saying of Jesus, like, who is this? Like, even the wind and the waves obey him. So can you say, Jesus rescued me, he calmed my storm just in time? He may do it instantly, he may take his time, but after years we say, my husband gave his life to Christ, or we'll say, finally, the truth came out, or she forgave me, or the surgery was successful. Grandma died, but she died peacefully. The job offer came through, our house sold. He popped the question, but maybe you say, okay, if he's so powerful, then why do I go through those storms in the first place? And Chuck Swindle gives a partial answer to that question when he writes, and I believe we have it up here for you, but how about those storms of life? Life is filled with God-appointed storms. A sheet of paper ten times this size would be insufficient to list the whirlwinds of our lives. But two things should comfort us in the midst of daily lightning and thunder. First, We all experience them, and second, we all need them. God has no other method more effective. The massive blows, not to mention the small constant irritations, smooth us and humble us and force us to submit to the role that he has chosen for us. See, if God stopped every storm, if he stopped all the rain, then we would be living in this barren, perched place. We would be looking for an oasis. So what truth can we draw from this biblical account? Maybe we can draw what David did, King David, in his prayer in Psalm 56, when he said, when I am afraid, I will trust you. So when you are in the arms of Jesus, you're safe. Even in the midst of a storm, there's still peace. So during the storms of life, like one guy said, rather than telling God how big the storms are, Tell the storm how big your God is. And I hope you can pray, Lord, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. You may know the name Horatio Spafford, and 
I told the people in the first service, it's not that head lieutenant on CSI Miami, but he actually lived back in the 19th century. And in 1871, he and his wife Anna and their five children lived in Chicago, Illinois. He was a 43-year-old lawyer. And early that year, his son died. His only son, he still had four daughters left. And then later that year was the great Chicago fire of 1971. And it burned up all of his real estate investments. He lost his entire savings, but he began to rebuild his life. And he worked overtime and just worked really hard to rebuild things. And two years later, his family decided to take a vacation in Europe. But then the last minute, his business was just so rough on him that he couldn't go with his family, so he sent them on ahead in the ship. And then, as that ship was partway across the Atlantic, they were crashed into by an iron-hulled tanker, and 226 people were killed in that accident. And when the survivors of the shipwreck landed in Europe, Anna Spafford sent this cable to her husband, saved alone, what shall I do? So Spafford immediately left Chicago and he wanted to bring his wife back home. And of course, the ship that he was traveling on traveled the same route that his wife and daughters had traveled on. And he actually asked the captain, just would you tell me the general area where that accident had happened when we get to it? And he did that. And while they were in that area, he was just looking out around him at the water, knowing that this was the watery grave of his four daughters. And the tears were just streaming down his face and dripping onto the bow of the boat. And it was there that he began to write these words. When peace like a river... Do you want me to sing it? I didn't at the first service. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the last verse of that song that he wrote that day was looking forward to the reunion that he would have one day with his daughters and with his son. And it was, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It's just to imagine, it's hard to imagine the tragedy that that man went through. But through trusting in Christ, realizing that God and Jesus were with him in that storm, he was able to do it. So can you pray, Lord, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Somehow Horatio Spafford could because he knew that his faith was in the one who could say, silence, be still, and that storm would end. The one who could do that was the one who could transform his pain into peace. So who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? I'll tell you who he is. He's actually the creator of this universe. He's the one that was predicted for hundreds of years prior to his arrival that he was going to be the Messiah. And he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. If you're tired of facing the storms of life alone, 
He promises to walk beside you. Now, he might not stop that storm, but he'll be certain to be with you, and he will calm you in that storm. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ and experienced that calm in the storms of life, like we urge you to do that, to just say, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus today. So remember that God provided comfort and peace to Horatio Spafford 146 years ago, and he promises to be there for you here in 2019.